Well, you've likely heard the saying before that seeing is believing. Have you ever heard that before? It's pretty common. It's even a saying that's common enough that people kind of live by this, by this idiom. And the idea behind it is that if something unlikely, no matter how unlikely it is, if it's witnessed, well, then the truth of the occurrence can no longer be doubted. So, if that's true, then when the reports of Jesus being alive start to swirl around the different groups of people and throughout the city of Jerusalem, if that idiom was true, then people's first response should have been to believe. But as we just read a moment ago, their first response was to disbelieve that that actually happened. You see, Mary, when she goes to the tomb with the other women, they find the stone rolled away, which in itself is an amazing feat. Then they look in, and the tomb is empty, and this leads to confusion and questions and concerns as to what has transpired. So they run, and they go tell the other disciples, and, and then Peter and John come running back, and sure enough, they look in the tomb. All they see, an empty tomb except for burial clothes that are still in there. Seen, but not quite sure what to believe at this point. And so even after they leave and Mary is left to, to sort of weep and sob in the garden on her own, and when Jesus himself walks up to her, appears to Mary, she looks at him, and she assumes he's the gardener. This is a man that she had followed for months, if not a year or more, practically every day spending hours with him. She knew Jesus very, very well. She knew his appearance, his voice. And yet in this situation, she sees, but she does not believe. So it's said that seeing is believing, but it doesn't seem so in this particular case. Now, sometimes we know that we can't trust our eyes, that our eyes and our minds can play tricks on us. And so probably one of the best examples of this is like optical illusions. We've probably all seen optical illusions before. For example, uh, this one. Now, You've probably seen it before, and I can tell you that if we got a ruler out, all of those lines are completely parallel and straight. But your eyes tell you something completely different, don't they? Your eyes tell you that they, they, they kind of bend and they twist a little bit. Or, or perhaps consider this one, one of my favorite ones. This is called the spinning wheel. Now this is just a picture. It's not a movie, but your eyes tell you that it's shifting, that it's moving. If you stare at it too long, it will hurt your head. So be careful you don't stare at that one for too long. We also know that from different perspectives and camera tricks, they can make us see things differently than they actually appear. You see, perspective matters. Perspective matters. But perspective also can be twisted and shifted a little bit based upon our history based upon some pre-assumptions we bring with us, our biases, based upon particular emotions that perhaps exist within the situation we find ourselves in. These can all alter and influence our perspective. And it leaves us with a choice. A choice on how we're going to see, but also a choice on how we're going to understand what we see in the world around us. Now, I want to be very clear at the beginning here. I'm not suggesting to you that the resurrection is some sort of optical illusion that took place. What I'm suggesting to you is that sometimes people don't allow themselves to see the truth of the resurrection because of other factors. Consider Jesus' very own disciples, for example. They're in this moment of, of emotional grief that's affecting their ability to perceive the truth right in front of them. They have this history that, that tells them when people die, dead is dead. And, and, and we shouldn't blame them for that one. That's the way things have always worked. But that's... A, 
a history, a bias they bring with them. They also had this perspective that Jesus was the Messiah, this hope that he was the one who would free them from Rome. And they understood that to mean he was going to march into Jerusalem, he was going to overthrow Rome. Instead of Rome ruling them, they were going to rule Rome, and he was going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem. Well, that didn't happen. And so all of these different perspectives change how they see and perceive what they see in the world around them. Now, they may not have seen the truth when it was right immediately before them. At first, anyways. But I can tell you, if you continue reading throughout the Gospels, if you continue following the life of the disciples from that point going forward, all of them came to see. And all of them came to believe the very thing that I declare to you today, and that is that Jesus is alive. Because he has risen. We're going to do it one more time. Because he is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. And so for these next few moments that we have together, I just want to help us understand and look to see clearly that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is active and he is bringing new life to the people, to the homes and to the communities all around us. Because if we were to keep reading in that passage and, and see where it follows in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, later on on that first Easter morning, we find the story of two guys two followers of Jesus Christ, who are walking from Jerusalem to a small village to the northwest by the name of Emmaus. They're leaving behind the crowds and the chaos of these past few days in Jerusalem, and they're yearning and moving towards the quieter, more calm, simple, peaceful life found in Emmaus. And as we read in Luke chapter 24, that they walk along the road, and it gives them time to talk and to process all that has transpired these past few days. But suddenly their duo becomes a trio as this man kind of catches up to them, matches their pace and goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? Now, imagine you're walking through the mall, just talking to your spouse or a best friend and some stranger walks up and goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? They'll probably throw you off a little bit. So these guys are probably a little disturbed and a little uncertain about this. But at the same time, the, the shocking nature of the question itself is the most important thing for them at this moment. Now, they don't realize it. They don't see it. But it's actually Jesus himself who has joined their little journey. And so they say to him, are you the only one who doesn't know what just took place this weekend? Like they're saying to him, you must have been dead or living under a rock to not know what was going on. Which in fairness to Jesus, both were true. <laughs> and so they then proceed to bring Jesus up to speed on what just happened to him. And they say this, beginning in verse 19. They say, well, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all people. But then the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place, and some of our women were amazing us. They, they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. And then they came and they told us, that they had seen these visions of angels and, and angels were telling him that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and, and sure enough, just as the women had said, they found it and they didn't see Jesus there though. Now on one hand, Jesus is probably pretty impressed because they got the story right. And you know how things tend to go, right? That you probably played the telephone game before where one person sees, hears, experiences something and they tell another and tell another, tell another, tell another. You get to the end of the road, it's a completely different message. Have you ever played the telephone game? 
Okay, so I'm not introducing something new here. You might start at one end talking about perhaps like the, the Easter bunny likes eggs, and then you pass it down the road, and the Easter bunny likes eggs turns into my tummy kind of sags at the other end of the road, right? Like things change as they get passed down through the line. So he's probably impressed they got the story right. But on the other hand, they didn't see in the past nor in the present who Jesus was. That's why as they walk, they're talking, discussing the events of this past week, and they're not able to make sense of what's transpired. Now, as they discuss this, as they're trying to reconcile all these things together, we can actually see the cognitive equation that they're trying to solve in their minds. And it goes something like this. See, they have a worldview. Their worldview was that Jesus was, was this man, this this powerful prophet and word and deed who came and, and that he was going to be the Messiah. And that, that, that was the worldview that they had about who Jesus was. They had these past experiences, just this recent past, just a couple days earlier, the past experience being Jesus died and, well, dead is dead, right? But then they had this current situation of people are seeing him. The tomb is empty. He's appearing to people. This is our current situation. And so we have to explain this somehow. And the explanation some people default to is disbelief. They have to explain this somehow. Now, in this particular case, we can probably understand and track the confusion that exists within them. But in this particular case, the problem is not with the past experiences. They're right, that Jesus had died. That is true. And, and dead means dead historically in the past. It's true, their current situation is that the tomb is empty, but he is appearing to people. Those things don't seem to equate, yet those are two parts of the equation. The problem was that they started with the wrong worldview. You see, they said it themselves. When Jesus said, what are you guys talking about? What is the very first thing they said? They said, Jesus is a powerful prophet. You see, but Jesus is not just a man who speaks for God. Jesus is the living incarnation of the word of God. Jesus being full of, fully human and fully God. Jesus being the one and only son come down from the father full of grace, full of truth. And all those who had seen him had seen his glory, had seen the glory of God in him. But they had missed it. They had missed who he was. So the problem with the equation is they started from the wrong place. It's true. If Jesus was just a man, then dead is dead. But he wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a great prophet. He was the son of God, the incarnated word of God. And so he says to them, how foolish you are. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And as they further walk along the road, Jesus beginning with Moses and then going through all the prophets up to the present time, he reveals to them what Scripture foretold about him. Now, as you can imagine, that was probably a pretty long lesson that, that he shared with them. So they walk for a while. And when they get to Emmaus, it's evening. And so these two men, still not knowing that this is Jesus they're journeying and talking with, these men invite him in to stay with them. And Jesus agrees, and in typical uh, hospitality of the region, they have a meal together. And during that meal, Jesus takes the bread, and reminiscent of the Last Supper of just a few days earlier, he took the bread, he gave thanks for it, he broke it, and then he gave it to them. It tells us in verse 31 that then their eyes were opened. Then they recognized, then they saw him, and he disappeared from their sight. 
But then they looked at each other and they said, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and revealed and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning inside? And these guys aren't speaking about indigestion. They're not talking about heartburn from the bread. It's not acid reflux that's happening here. You see, they had questions. They had doubts. They had confusion as they walked. But as Jesus walked with them, the pieces started to fall into place. You see, that burning that they're talking about is this warmth inside that cries out, yes, there's something right. There's something true. There's something good about what we're hearing and experiencing in this moment. Maybe you've experienced that at some point in your own life. When you find yourself at questions and concerns, which way do I go? What do I do next? And a, and a friend or a parent or a mentor comes alongside you and, and gives you some direction and some insight and some wisdom. And something inside goes, yes, that is what I needed. Perhaps you had a coach or a teacher who would motivate you and challenge you and encourage you in the positive directions. Uh, perhaps you, you've been to a church service and the pastor is preaching about something or reading something from Scripture and something inside of you just wants you to cry out, Amen. It's this warm feeling, this burning inside that says yes. But the word burn that's used in this passage also has another application that we see in Scripture. You see, other places when we read through the New Testament, the same word is used to reference to the lighting of a light, of a candle or a torch or something like that. And so we could also look at this and say that as Jesus was speaking to them and revealing the truth of what's happening, the lights were coming on inside. This light was being ignited because now they understood that Jesus was more than just a mere prophet. He was the resurrected Messiah and that he is alive. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. That Easter is this time for seeing and believing that Jesus is alive this very day. Now there is overwhelming evidence. If you believe it or not, there is overwhelming evidence that the empty tomb is a historical fact. There is overwhelming evidence that the historical person of Jesus died upon a cross, was buried in a tomb, and that tomb mysteriously was found empty. That is not a highly debated series of events. There is broad, undeniable historical evidence within the Christian faith and outside of the Christian faith to defend those beliefs. Now, how and why the tomb is emptied is debated. But the fact that those things happened is not. Now, there's suggestions as to why. Perhaps he didn't really die. Perhaps his body was stolen by his enemies or even by his own disciples. Perhaps there's a mass hallucination that people had as they were seeing him. And these different things are debated. One of the problems with all of these other theories is that in light of the evidence, it is very, very difficult to defend any of those other views. And at times, some of them actually require more faith than a belief in the resurrection itself. To give an example, a man by the name of Simon Greenleaf, who you think might be part of the 420 celebration that happened yesterday, but it was a different guy. Simon Greenleaf, one of the most highly regarded legal minds in the history of America, he is considered an expert on the law of evidence to the point where he is the founder of the Harvard Law School. He analyzed the four gospel accounts, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. He examined those in terms of validity as objective testimonial evidence. And he came to the conclusion that it was therefore impossible that these authors, that they could have persisted in affirming the truths that they had narrated in these gospels had not Jesus actually risen from the dead. 
And had they not known this fact as certainly as they had known any other fact. Now I know that for some people, it doesn't matter how many quotes that I share with you, how many different theories, how many different philosophies, how many different times I reference the Bible. It will not convince all people. I know that. I also know that if Jesus stood right in front of you, right here, right now, today, it would not convince you either. It didn't convince Mary in that particular moment. Because seeing is not necessarily believing. This is partially because of the worldview that we start with. With the biases that we bring to the discussion. Because perhaps the emotions of a current situation or a past situation we've been in, or perhaps we believe that, that God has failed us in the past. Perhaps we have this belief that he was just a man of history or just a prophet. There's also this challenge that if it is all true, that has a pretty significant implication on how I live my life. And so a distancing happens from what actually could be the truth for a person's life. And so they don't allow themselves to see the truth that is in the world all around them. Perhaps they don't even allow themselves to acknowledge the burning that exists within them. But I believe that burning that exists within people when they hear the truth of Jesus Christ is the Spirit of God saying, yes, this is what you have been searching for. This is what you've been desiring but never finding satisfied. This is the very thing you have been hungering after. This is the answer to the question you've been asking. This is the answer to the yearning that you have had when you stand back and you think to yourself, is this all there is to life? This is the answer to that question. Jesus Christ. Because we were all created for a purpose. And we were all created for a relationship. And that purpose and its relationship finds fulfillment in God through Jesus Christ who is inviting you to discover that life is better with Jesus. This is the reality God wants all of us to come to know. That Jesus was not just a man. Jesus did not just die. Jesus was not defeated. That he is the son of God who is alive and he was not defeated, he was the defeater because he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated the grave and to the glory of God and our benefit, this was accomplished. And in the resurrection, we can see the completion of God's redemptive work. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have done something wrong that, that violates God's character, his will, his plan. We've, we've all injured others and been injured by others. And this leads to this eternal separation between us and God. Because even though God created us for relationship, he is perfectly holy. And our sin makes us perfectly unholy. And so a sin problem exists that is beyond our ability to deal with. But atonement needs to be made. Reparation needs to be made. And God, knowing that the solution to this problem was beyond us, sent his one and only son to come pay the price for us. That, that's what John 3.16 is about. The most famous verse in all the Bible. That's what it's about. That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him should not perish, should not have to continue on in their persistent state of sin that they exist in, but instead would have eternal life. See, when Jesus died upon the cross, he paid the price for all of sins, for, for yours, for mine, for all sins of all time. It was dealt with. It was forgiven. But he didn't just put sin to death like he, like he took a bullet for us and then stayed dead. Instead, no, he rose victorious, not only defeating sin, but also overcoming death. 
Therefore, that all of us who are identified with him through that act of forgiveness can also be identified in his eternal life forever. And so Jesus stands with outstretched arms, with nail-pierced hands, offering to forgive all people, offering to bring new life, offering to give opportunity for eternal relationship with the Father through him. And all that remains is for each person to hear, to believe, and to receive that gift unto themselves. Paul explained it this way in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have never accepted that forgiveness, or perhaps if you did at one point, then you have wandered away for some time. If there's something inside you that is burning, that is crying out and saying, yes, this is what you've been looking for then I want to let you know you're never more than one step away from being in that relationship with Jesus Christ again. All that is required is to turn to him, to say thank you. Thank you for going to the cross. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose victorious on the third day. You gave your life for me, and now I give my life to you. Amen. And if that is something in your heart that you need to do, you can do that right where you sit. We'll have prayer people at the front following the service. You're welcome to come and chat with them more and to make that profession of faith in your life. Because this is the good news. This is the good news of Easter that all of those who live in Jesus Christ can experience. But, but it's not just a future hope that we one day hope to experience and see. We can see this in our world today. See, Jesus is alive today. He is active in our world today. He is active in the world around us now. However, like the disciples, when Jesus first appeared to them, we have a choice on if we're going to see it that way and how we're going to interpret the things around us. For example, consider the story of a young adult who is struggling to discern certain directions in his life. So he can't sleep one night, he's just troubled by these questions, and so he decides to go for a drive. He happens to just drive by a school that he used to attend, and so he gets out of his car and he walks through the field at three in the morning just praying, God, give me a sign. He goes back to the parking lot, gets in his car, as he turns the car on, his lights turn on, and they illuminate a sign. And the sign is for a local trade school advertising career opportunities that he'd actually been contemplating. A little too literal, he decides to test it. So he calls the school the next day, and he calls them. He is shocked to learn that they have a bursary in his name waiting for him that's about to expire. Or how about a young family who various life situations leads them to a point where they have no income? A little bit of EI, but not much income. They have one child and another on the way. They have no money, they have no groceries, and mom is feeling helpless while dad's out looking for a job. And in her own words, in an email to me, she wrote this. As I sat down to pray and was very discouraged with our situation and not sure what we were going to do, I knew that we could always go to the church for a hamper, but I was feeling sorry for myself instead. So I made out a grocery list, very specific with brand names, sizes, etc. Macintosh apples, five pounds, two liters homogenized milk, because my daughter was crying because she wanted a cup of milk and we had none. Oreo cookies, not the cheap fake ones, because there's some things you just don't skimp on, etc. And through the list on our kitchen table, making that my prayer. 
Within a half hour, there was a knock on the door, and a church member was there with a car full of groceries, including every single specific item on my list, plus many, many more. This was so obvious to me that it was not a coincidence, because the details of my list, and also the fact that this person was doing shopping likely ahead of when I actually wrote that list and presented it to God. What do you do with stories like this? You have a choice on what you do with stories like this. These are not stories that I Googled. Give me good stories about God moving people's lives. These are people, regular people, that I have known and that I have pastored over the years. That God exists and moves and works in their lives. And I hope stories like this will bring you hope and I pray that, that stories like this will be moving in your lives, will bring you to a point of hope if you're discouraged, that will give you confidence if you're troubled, that if you're among the faithful, they'll bring joy to your soul or salvation if you're feeling lost. Can you see the reality that Jesus is alive? Can you see that Jesus is active in the world around us? And I want to challenge you to go and find some quiet time in the next day or two. If you got tomorrow off, that's a great time to do it. If you have time this afternoon, it's a great time to do it. Find some quiet time. Get pen and paper. Get an iPad, whatever your style is. Get something to sit down and prayerfully ponder and look at your current situation. Look at past stories and ask yourself, where was Jesus in the midst of that? Maybe you're going through a present life situation right now and he is so powerfully moving and present, but you've just missed it. You've written it off as, as something else, as indigestion instead of a burning inside you. Or maybe as you look back upon past stories, you'll suddenly see all of his fingerprints on so many events that took place in your life. Like, like that famous poem says, when we look back, it's when we see one set of footprints, not two in the sand. But to take that exercise, that challenge, and look and see, where has God been present in the past and in the present in my life? And perhaps like the men on the road to Emmaus, not in the middle of the moment, but it was after the moment looking back when their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is a valuable exercise in seeing Jesus in your own life so that you too can declare he is alive because he is risen. He was dead, but he has conquered sin. He has conquered death and he has conquered hell. He overcame to bring salvation to all of us. Jesus is active in the world around us. He is revealing himself personally to us in each of our lives. And he has made a way for all of us to come to him that we may know him, that we may see him, and that we may live with him and for him. You know, over these past couple of weeks as we're preparing for this service, I, I give the challenge to Ben and some of the other staff to, to talk to a few people and say, you know, Ask people to do the exercise. Where have you seen Jesus in your life? Where have you experienced Jesus? And as we move to kind of towards closing our service here in a few minutes, I just want to share some of these stories with you of where people have experienced Jesus.